heroes are an inspiring group of people. Every one of them, from the larger-than-life comic book heroes you see on the big silver screen to the everyday heroes that let us live the privileged lives we do. Every hero has a story to tell. The doctor saving lives at your local hospital. The war veteran down the street who risked his lives for our freedom. The police officers and firefighters who risk their safety to ensure ours. Every hero is special and every story worth telling. But there is one class of heroes that I think is often ignored. The entrepreneur. The creator. The producer. The ones who look at the problems in this world and think to themselves, you know what? I can fix that. I can help people. And I can make a difference. Then they go out and do exactly that by creating a new product or introducing a new service. Some go on to change the world. Others make a world of difference to their customers. Welcome to The Hero Show. Join us as we pull back the masks of the world's finest heropreneurs and learn the secrets to their powers, their success, and their influence. So you can use those secrets to attract more sales, make more money, and experience more freedom in your business. I'm your host, Richard Matthews, and we are on in three, two, one. Hello and uh, welcome back to The Hero Show. My name is uh, Richard Matthews, um, and I am here on the line with James Allcroft. James, are you there? I am here, Richard. Awesome, glad to have you here. And for uh, those of you who are regular watchers of the show, I'm back in the car again, we're up in Washington and uh, I'm at a Starbucks today for, uh, for, for our travels. Um, let me do a quick introduction for Jamie. Um, should be a lot of fun. He's got some interesting stuff that he's done in his past. Uh, so Jamie, uh, you said you entertained audiences as one half of the comedy duo Mac and Jamie for over 35 years. Um, appearances on um, with Mac on The Tonight Show with both J Johnny Carson and Jay Leno led to 125 original episodes of the syndicated half-hour comedy Break with Mac and Jamie. Jay Leno said Mac and Jamie are the top. They are the funniest duo, duo working today. You're also um, in the elite core of LA voice actors, providing voices for national commercials, The Simpsons, Rugrats, Power Beach, Justice League, Adam Sandler's Eight Crazy Nights, a bunch of video games, including Gears of War, Transformers, and Halo, um, and a bunch of other stuff. So really right. interesting, uh, interesting career you've had. Um, well, I could, and, never, I could never hold a job. Yeah, so That's what's interesting it. to me is I thought in my head before I talked to you, you know, just on the phone here, that voice yeah. acting would have been more like a job and less like a business. So I'm curious, what is it that you're known for? What's your business like now? Um, and, and sort of explain to the audience what, what, what the business aspect of voice acting is. Well, I never wanted to have to go into the office. So I uh, auditioned many, many years ago. Uh, my agent called me. I was with William Morris at the time because Mac and Jamie had just gotten off of their uh, TV series comedy break. And uh, he said, uh, James, I need you to do a parrot. And I said, oh, well, I can do a parrot. I can do a parrot. You know, I thought that's what he wanted. He said, no, that's not what they want. They want a, uh, a very unique voice and uh, you can go in tomorrow and, and audition. And I auditioned for a little parrot that walked out for Whiskers cat food. And the parrot basically said, okay, kitty cats, read my beak, no more birds for dinner. Instead, try new recipe Whiskers. So the bird was standing right next to a cat. And the idea was that the cat preferred cat food over eating the bird. And I was, I was always threatened and always in danger. But um, it was fun because uh, when I went into the audition, I ad-libbed uh, the last line, the tagline. And uh, I, you know, I read the material they gave me. And then at the end of it, I said, 
remember, love thy neighbors, don't eat them. And uh, they said, oh my gosh, that's the greatest tagline we've ever heard. Oh, that's great. So I did that commercial for four years. And when you do a national commercial, you can make about $140,000 a year. Nice. And at the time, uh, I also had a couple of uh, on-camera commercials running. So it can be quite lucrative. And, and I liked it. I liked the idea that I didn't have to shave and I didn't have to look a certain way. And I could go in wearing my shorts and my t-shirt and do the job. So I became a, a voice actor. And uh, it, it's been really, really great because uh, now... I can do it over the phone. I can actually talk my audition into my voice memo and then I can send it to my agent uh, rather than having to drive in. Uh, for years and years, uh, when I got an audition, I knew it was a three-hour investment in my time. It took mm -hmm. me an hour to drive into Hollywood and it took me an hour to do the audition and sit around waiting for the booth to be ready and then another hour to come back. So that was a three hour investment. Now I just go into my closet, which is my studio because the suits and the sports coats baffle everything. And I do my auditions and I get the jobs. And when you get the jobs, you go into the uh, recording studios, of course, and uh, voiceover recording studios are fantastic. You, you walk in in the morning and there's someone there making breakfasts and, uh, you know, you order what kind of omelet you want or scrambled eggs or, you know, whatever. And um, it's just, it's very, it's a very luxurious gig. And I said, gee, I like this. So rather than getting on an airplane and flying somewhere and making a large group of people laugh with Mac, um, I started to move into the area of just doing voices. And it is really fun. Matter of fact, last night I was at a comedy club here in LA and uh, ran into Tom Kenny. You know who Tom Kenny is? I don't. He is SpongeBob SquarePants. Oh, there you go. Yeah, he's made his living as SpongeBob and uh, he's a millionaire because of it. That's crazy. So I'm curious how, um, what, what are, what is it? How does like the business work um, as a voice actor? Do you have to go out and find jobs that you potentially are, are fit for or the, you know, how, how do you get work? Your agent. What you have to do, the first thing you do is get an agent. And I was lucky when I did my first voiceover as the parrot, I was with William Morris. And um, I did that. And during the course of the four years, I moved to an agency called Sutton Bartha Minari. And I became good friends with one of the uh, booth directors there. And she then went and formed her own agency her name is Sandy Schnarr, and she formed Sandy Schnarr Talent and took a lot of the clients from the Sutton Barth with her. And uh, then she was joined by Peter Verano from Cunningham. And Cunningham is a big voiceover agency in town here. And um, so Sandy and Peter run AVO Talent now. And I'm one of the very lucky pre people who are one of the clients of AVO Talent. So when something comes across their desk, uh, they, want, they want somebody from Liverpool or something to do the Beatles or something like that. Or they perhaps they are, they're looking for a Sean Connery sound alike. Uh, or maybe a Ronald Reagan sound alike, which I, I did a couple of weeks ago. Uh, they, 
say, oh, well, Jamie can do that. They give me a call, I audition, and, and the, the client likes me, I get the gig. And that's how you do it. And it's, it's a great, great way of making a living. I can, I can travel, as you do, I can travel all over the world. And now I can just send in my auditions and I can, if I get the job, they will arrange for me to go to a studio in whatever town I'm in and record it, whether I'm in Italy or Pittsburgh or, or Montana, doesn't matter. They'll, they'll arrange for a studio because just about every town has a studio. A couple of times I've gone to radio stations and I've recorded my job there. That's really interesting. So are, yeah. um, when the client hires you are, you, are they hiring your agency and you're hired through the agency or do they hire yes. you directly? They hire me, uh, well, of course, through the agency. The agency does all the contracting and everything. And it's also through SAG-AFTRA, Screen Actors Guild, uh, American Federation of Radio and Television Artists, which is my union. And um, so I'm protected. I'm protected. And if, if somebody wants me to do a particular job, and it's going to take four hours. Uh, uh, they know that I'm going to get uh, $875 uh, per hour because that's the uh, scale. That's mm -hmm. the rate, the going rate. I, I happened to do a job several weeks ago that uh, was $16,000 per hour, uh, per, per fourth, four hour session, I mean to say. So I did nice. two four hour sessions and that was 32K, which uh, is, is very nice. So when you get something that's syndicated, like, like a national commercial or a video game, do you, do you make royalties on that as a voice actor? Yes. Well, now uh, video games have changed. Uh, for years and years, we never made royalties. And now we have just, uh, as of about a year and a half ago, we passed a, a law at the agency. And it was a tough fight with the video companies but now the video companies pay us a sliding scale uh, uh, percentage of, of what, I mean, something like Gears of War. They sold 300 million copies in the first week that it was released. And yeah. the voiceover actors never got a penny of that. But now we do get a share of that, which is great. Now, if you do a national commercial, uh, whether it's on radio or television, you do get a residual from that. And the residuals are uh, hefty at first, and then they taper off. So all the, like all these TV shows you see, uh, uh, Friends and uh, MASH, you go back yeah. as far as you want, uh, they're making residuals. So every time it runs, uh, I often will get a residual check for maybe $4.75 from the Simpsons that ran over in Indonesia. Nice. You know, you never know. So you spend that all in one place, right? Right. You take it right to Starbucks and get a coffee with the $4.75. Hey, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, no, my, uh, the lady at the bank is used to me coming in because I have cashed residual checks for 38 cents and a dollar 12 or whatever. And I actually have a residual check for one penny which I never cashed. I framed that. That's funny. <laughs> so all right, let's talk a little bit about your origin story, right? Every hero has an origin story. Um, it's sort of where you discovered your talent, right? Where you started to discover that you could, uh, 
you could add value to people um, people's lives with your entertainment with your voice how did that how did that come about for you well I was um, I, I apprenticed to a silversmith on a horse ranch in Colorado in 1972 uh, and I learned the art of silversmithing and I started making jewelry and my jewelry became quite popular. So I had a outlet in Aspen and I had a store in Silverton, Colorado, which is a charming little place. You're traveling around, don't miss the San Juans in Southern, in Southern Colorado, they're just beautiful. And um, then uh, someone admired my jewelry and offered me a storefront in Key West, Florida on Duval Street. So I went down there and opened a storefront in Key West, Florida. I had a custom shop on one side and the other side of my store was just jewelry that we bought from vendors. So that's the way I built up uh, my, my resources and my income uh, was, you know, I would do custom work, which was very expensive. And uh, then we would have uh, less expensive jewelry on the other side. So, People would want a piece of my jewelry, but they maybe couldn't afford it. So what they did was they acquiesced and got a piece of jewelry from my store. Yeah. Bill said, they still could say, we bought this from Jamie Alcroft at Hi-Ho Silver in Key West. And they could still say that. And um, they may not. One of, the, one of the great stories was when uh, there was an actor uh, who was on a show called Hollywood Squares. His name is Paul Lind. Uh, it's a generational thing. You may not remember Paul, but uh, he was the voice of the rat in Charlotte's Web. Um, yeah. Right. And he talked like this. That, uh, voice. Right. He had this kind of voice. It was very kind of snarky. And he came into my store one day and he admired a belt buckle. And he said, oh, I love that buckle. So in his voice, I said back to him, I call it my quick release. And he said, what do you mean? So press the turquoise on the top of the buckle and the buckle pops open. Well, Paul was a gay man and he bought the buckle and gave it to his recent boyfriend. And uh, from that point on, over the last three years, he probably bought 10 buckles from me. He would just pop his head in the store. He said, Jamie, need another buckle. And I go, quick release. He said, oh, you betcha. <laughs> so that was our, our running joke. Um, and I would stay up late at night uh, making jewelry in the shop, uh, filling the orders that had come in, whether it was for a belt buckle or a bracelet or a ring or a pendant. And um, I listened to a radio station that was in town. And they played great, great music but their commercials were really bad, really corny, really, ooh, really amateur. And uh, so I just walked into the radio station one day, I was coming back from, from lunch, going back to my shop, and the radio station was on the fourth story of the La Concha Hotel in Key West. And I went up and I said, uh, listen, um, can I talk to your program manager? And she said, oh yeah, he's right here. And, he said, how can I help you? And I said, well, I do voices and I can help you make your commercials a little more interesting and perhaps more compelling and maybe make your advertisers happier. 
I said, because right now your music's great, but your commercials, he said, I know, I know what you mean. I agree, I agree. Can you start tomorrow? <laughs> sure. What do you want me to do? He said, come in at uh, six, say 5.30 and pick out your records and you'll go on the air at six. You'll be our new morning man. So all of a sudden, I was on the air from 6 a.m. to 10 playing rock and roll in Key West, Florida in the middle of the 1970s, the halcyon days to be in Key West, let me tell you that. And uh, I was entertaining people. And I would meet people on the street and they would say, gee, you know, that was funny what you did this morning and I, I liked what you said this morning and that really touched me or the music you played uh, really meant a lot to me today, can you play this? And I realized, how music was affecting their lives and how what I was saying and doing was affecting their lives. And I thought, which this is really powerful and you can get on an ego trip about it. You can also say, Hey, I could make a living doing this and I wouldn't have to be burning silver and melting this and doing that because it, it being a silversmith is quite a bit of work. And um, just to make a, you know, simple, bracelet like this is, you know, probably 11 hours to do something yeah. like that. And I thought, well, you know, this is fun. And I, so I kind of left the silversmithing behind and I got into radio and one day I got a, a, a note when I got off the air and it said, you must be one of the funniest men in Key West. I'm the other one signed Mac Dryden. Well, I went over to Mac's house. We wrote a, an act together as a duo. Uh, we drove back and forth to, to uh, Fort Lauderdale and worked in clubs. Uh, well, there was one club in Fort Lauderdale called the Comic Strip, which was a branch of the Comic Strip, which was in New York City. And they would bring four of their New York comics down to Fort Lauderdale every week. So Mac and I were in the enviable position of working with Paul Reiser, Rick Overton, Jerry Seinfeld, uh, Bobcat Goldthwaite, uh, Dennis Wolfberg, Carol wow. Weaver, uh, all these great, great comics who were coming up at the time. And uh, they encouraged us to go to New York. And we did. And we were in New York for four months and William Morris signed us as clients. Uh, I was offered Saturday Night Live, but I passed because I wanted to stick with the team. I thought it would be better to stick with the team. And I'm really glad I didn't take it because that happened to be the cast of Saturday Night Live that is notorious for being the worst cast ever. <laughs> it just, it was when, uh, oh, uh, Dick Ebersole took it over from Lauren Michaels. Uh, Lauren uh, was in some sort of, sort of dispute with NBC. And if you read the book about it, it's pretty interesting. Dick Ebersole took over. And that's why they picked me. And, um, but I said no. And I stuck with Mac and Jamie. And we uh, came out to LA to do The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. And uh, we stayed. We were the, uh, the, the sketch comedy players on a show called Solid Gold. And um, then we got our own show, uh, Comedy Break with Mac and Jamie, which was sketch comedy. So we picked yeah. out these two actors that we wanted to work with doing the sketches. And one of them was named Jan Hooks, who later went on to do Saturday Night Live. And the other guy that we picked out to work with us was a guy named Kevin Pollack, 
who is now on Mrs. Maisel and has done a lot of wonderful work over the years. Yeah. Mrs. Maisel is the Amazon show, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah Mrs. Yeah, Maisel. The marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Uh, I believe, is it Amazon or Netflix? Uh, it might one be. One of those two. I think it's Amazon. But one either way, that's, that's really cool. So you had, you went from, you went from Smithing to radio and voice acting to comedy and then back into voice acting. Back into voice acting, yeah. But, uh, and now, you know, I'm doing podcasts. So what can I tell you? And then, oh, um, uh, in 2005, I was on an airplane flying back from Seattle and I had a massive coronary, uh, big old heart attack called the Widowmaker. And I was very lucky I had symptoms and they got me to a hospital in Portland and took care of me. I lived for the next 12 years with a pacemaker and a stint, but I, but I spent money. I spent the extra money on a pacemaker. I got XM Sirius radio and uh, climate nice. control and OnStar because I didn't know where the hell I was half the time. And I kept locking myself out of my bathrobe. So I got OnStar, which was really convenient. And that thing kept me alive for 12 years. And then two years ago in July, I start to feel really bad. Um, and I'll just, I'll share this with you, Richard, because you may have listeners out there that have the same symptoms. When I would lay down, I would run out of breath. Yeah. Um, I looked it up online and it said it was one of the primary symptoms of congestive heart failure. So I had lived with 20% of my heart for 12 years. You're working on about 60 or 70% right now. But the pacemaker kept me going. I was on 20%. And I was doing fine. I was still going on cruise ships. Excuse me, working with Mac on cruise ships. And um, then I called my doctor and I said, you know, I'm, I'm laying down and I'm running out of breath. I had to sleep sitting up in a chair last night. And he said, well, you take a drive to my office right now. I did. He tested me. They threw me in Cedar sinai into the heart transplant unit. And I was there for the next three months awaiting a new heart because my heart had given out on me. Now, it was congenital. Uh, my grandfather had the same condition and my uncle had the same condition. So we're keeping a close eye on my children to make sure they don't have that condition. But uh, these days, uh, there are much more advanced ways of dealing with it. And uh, they may not have to have a transplant like I did. Uh, coincidentally, yesterday was the two-year celebration of my transplant. So two years ago at this time, I was laying in bed out, out. And listen, whoever said laughter is the best medicine has never had a morphine drip. I guarantee you that. <laughs> I was out on the morphine and hallucinating and dreaming. Uh, I was in a an induced coma for about three days. And then they brought me out and they give you this scar. That's, they call it the Mercedes, but I like to think of it as a peace sign because I'm an old hippie. Yeah. So, but it's straight down and then off to the side and they just open, open you up, up for 12 hours. It's a 12 hour operation. Um, it was, it was pretty wild because I was, I was laying on the gurney about to uh, be operated on. And the nurse turned to me and she said, Mr. Alcroft, do you feel warm? Are you comfortable enough? 
And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm fine. Everything's great. I've, I feel terrific. Thank you. You know, I was very excited about the possibility of maybe living. And, um, and, and she said, okay, that's fine, Mr. Alcroft. Thank you. And she turned around and she came back and she said, Mr. Alcroft, are you warm enough? Are you, are you comfortable? And I said, yeah, I just told you that. She said, oh, <laughs> that was 12 hours ago. <laughs> wow. Yeah, and that's what it'll do. It was, it was, it was wild. So I woke up with a, a 46-year-old heart, and they also replaced my liver because my heart had beat up on my liver. I had what they call heart-induced cirrhosis. And, of course, my reaction to that was, you mean I could have drank more? You're kidding me. Uh, it's heart-induced cirrhosis? Whoa. And um, so I got the heart and the liver from the same donor. And, um, you know, and it, this is the hero show. You know, you're, you're talking about um, entrepreneurs uh, wanting to make a difference in their lives. And I yeah. think most of the entrepreneurs I've met want to make a difference in the world. They, it, 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 goes, beyond, it beyond, goes beyond just bettering their own circumstance. Uh, I find that uh, the entrepreneurs, the good entrepreneurs, the true ones really want to make the world better. And my donor uh, was the biggest hero you would ever find. My donor was a hero because the definition of a hero is doing the right thing at the right time. And he did the right thing at the right time. He filled out his donor card when he got his driver's license. And that saved my life. God bless him. He was on a motorcycle going somewhere, maybe just out for a loaf of bread, maybe just out for a drive on his bike to clear his head, but he never made it back. However, he did make it back through me. So I'm living for two now. Uh, that guy, you know, you want to talk about heroism? Uh, you, if you're an organ donor, you're a hero because your legacy will live on. Uh, you, you know, I, I talk about the entrepreneurs that want to make the world better. Well, donors want to make the world better too and want to leave that legacy because I don't know what this guy's name is, but I talk to him every day. Every day I talk to my donor and I, I pay tribute to his heroism. And people say, oh, you were such a hero living through what you lived through. And that's really not true, I don't think. I think I was a victim and, and my heroes were the people that were all around me. My heroes were my family, um, my wife, my two daughters, my son. Uh, the heroes were my doctors my heart team and my liver team who kept me going and kept me knowing that everything was going to be okay, uh, that they were going to make it work. And the biggest hero out of them all was my donor. Yeah. I, I call him Brian. I spell it with a Y just to be kind of, you know, classy, <laughs> you know. But, yeah. um, but I do every day. I say, I, I was driving my convertible the other day. I have a, an old Alfa Romeo, uh, a 66 Duetto, and I was driving home from having uh, had a swim at the YMCA. And I just felt so good. And I just looked up and I said, thanks, Brian. Thanks, Brian. This is great. So he is my hero. And anybody who, can, who becomes an organ donor can become a hero as well. 
and will live on for years and years past their death through the legacy of, of the person that, that they gave eight organs to. You can give, you know, lungs, liver, kidneys, heart, corneas. You can give eyesight to the blind. And a lot of people say, oh, I'm too old. Nobody wants my stuff anymore. And that's not true because uh, they love old skin because old skin's a little more stretchable and malleable when it comes to helping out those for burn victims and saving their lives with your skin. I, I met a fella uh, who had a, a tendon that had been donated by an organ donor. He got a yeah. tendon in his leg and was able to walk for the first time in my uh, he was injured my brother, in Afghanistan. Yeah, my brother had a, a meniscus in his knee. Uh -huh. Yeah, that was donated because of a he had a motorcycle accident that destroyed part of his leg, um, oh. and had to have a transplant for for I, I guess it's called a meniscus. I don't actually know what that is, but I think it's the padding between your uh, your top of your leg and the bottom of your leg. Yeah, that's so. fantastic. And he's doing yeah, great. He'll be able to walk the rest of his life. Yeah, he's doing great now. Um, been a number of years. So, I want to talk a little bit about um, about your superpowers, right? So we've talked a little bit, you know, superpower, you know, voice acting, that kind of stuff. If you could nail it down, what your superpower is? How did you develop it? Like, oh, you know, what what would you say that is for you? I think um, with all the hubris I can muster, uh, I think it's my ability to entertain people, to walk into a room full of strangers and make friends. Uh, I really, really love my species. And so if I have a superpower, it's my love of my species. I, I just, I get such a kick out of, uh, bringing joy and enlightenment to people's lives. And, uh, you know, it, 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 it's not always the easiest thing to do. Uh, but it, it's like, I think that's why I, I, I was so comfortable doing stand-up all those years. Because yeah. you're standing in front of a crowd of strangers and you leave them with something that they never came in the room with. And, and people have said to me, Oh, I'm really, I'm really nervous about getting up and talking in front of people. And, uh, you know, I've got, I've got some ideas about what I want to say, but I'm really nervous about getting up and talking to them. And I always say to them, look, you have a secret. You know what you're going to say. And that gives you a superpower. That gives you a superpower to go out there and not be intimidated by them because they're civilians and you're the superhero and they're just a bunch of civilians out there and you are going to enlighten them. You're going to make them laugh. You may change their lives. You never know. I've had cancer victims come up to me after the show and say, you know, that's the first time I've laughed in two years. Uh, and, and, and thank you because uh, laughter is, it may not be the best, but it's really good medicine. So 
I'm, I, the other side of a superpower is your fatal flaw, right? And fatal flaw is something that holds you back from either, you know, growing your business or growing your, your influence. Um, something that maybe you've, you've struggled with over the years to, to, do, to do what you do. Um, what would you say that is? And more importantly, how have you combat that for other people who might have suffered from something similar and how they, could, uh, they can work on that in their own lives? Are you talking about my kryptonite? Yeah, your kryptonite. Superman has his kryptonite. What's yours? Yeah. Oh boy, that is that is a tough one. Even though I I knew you were going to ask me that, um, I, I I I I'm just kind of replaying it in my mind, trying to to think of of what it is, and I it 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 probably is. Uh, Sometimes I don't have as much of a filter as I should. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that what I have to say is more important than what's going on in the current situation. And uh, I get what my wife calls greedy. I get greedy. Uh, and, and it's not about attention. People say, you know why? Why are you always on? Why are you always doing voices? And are you, why are you always trying to make people laugh and, or make people yawn in your case? Um, <laughs> I, have, I have a baby at home said that woke me up a whole bunch last night. So it's oh, not you. No. How old is the baby? <laughs> Six months. Oh, geez. I have a granddaughter who's four months. Yeah. So I know the feeling. My daughter's going, my daughter and <laughs> son-in-law are going through the same thing. Yeah, yeah, and I got a I got a toddler who's getting up in the middle of the night to go potty too. So I think I was up like eight times last night. So it's definitely not you. I just oh, haven't slept okay. well in a while. Okay, all right. If you need to put your binky in your mouth uh, in the middle of this, <laughs> yeah. let me know. That'd be okay. Um, yeah, people say, "Why are you doing this?" And and I guess my kryptonite is that I'm bored. I'm bored. That makes sense. So, I'm basically entertaining myself. My mind works quickly and I jump ahead and, and I co-host a podcast called Things I Found Online. And I always jump in with, with funny things. And, and uh, my producer said to me yesterday, what was that thing you said? Well, it was really hilarious. I said, I don't know. I don't know. I was just, well, why, why did you remember that? And I was just entertaining myself at the time. Uh, you know, we were talking about, oh, I know what it was. We were talking about online dating. And um, I said, well, I didn't, uh, I didn't meet my wife online. I, I met my, life, my wife in person, but we decided to date online for two years just to see how it was going to work out. You know, <laughs> so she thought that was pretty funny. And, and for me, I was just, you know, just extrapolating, uh, doing what I'm sure you do in your podcast very often. You... You, you kind of bounce off of what somebody else has said to you and you extrapolate what your reality is and what's going on in your head. And if you can extrapolate and exaggerate and surprise, then you've got comedy. Absolutely. Yep. So how have you been working on that in your own life, working on you know improving your filter and paying more attention to the people that are around you? I have been working on that. Uh, how I do that? is by reminding myself, uh, not being forgetful, uh, remembering uh, when 
like my wife said to me the other day, you're, you're being greedy. Uh, well, that I listened to her. She's mm -hmm. my life partner and she's my soulmate. So I know that she knows probably more about me than I do because I feel I know more about her than she does. And so that resonated with me. And it, it's just one of those things that you file away in that Rolodex in your head or those, those files in your head and you just keep it present. And when you go into a situation, like in the comedy club last night, uh, you know, you're several groups of people and there are all these comedians talking to each other. And of course, comedians talking to each other, everybody's trying to get in and, you know, get the, yeah. and get a, the, the last word or any word in edgewise for that matter. And I, uh, I wasn't greedy. I backed off. I actually didn't talk to a couple of people that I wanted to talk to uh, because I wanted to talk to them. They didn't necessarily want to talk to me. You know, they may want, they may have wanted to, but I decided to, to take the tack of assuming that uh, they were happy enough talking to the person they were currently talking to. And I didn't need to enter the conversation. Yeah, so I, a, you know what I mean? I just kind yeah, of it's, it's, away. A, it's a hard lesson for those of us who like to talk to people and yes, I yeah. think we're the center of attention when the world unfortunately does not revolve around me. Um, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, Copernicus came up with that one, I think. Yeah, I, my, yeah. my, my, my wife teases me regularly. Um, you know, I tell her, tell her, you know, just one of our running jokes is, you know, I don't like, I don't particularly like onions and she likes onions and she'll put onions in dinner. And I was like, oh, you put onions in it again. She was like, remember dear, the world doesn't revolve around you. And I'm like, but it should. <laughs> really? Well, when it comes to onions, I think, I think I've got to practice a little restraint there. I, I really do. And just let you put your own onions in. Yeah. You should yeah. Make, make them separate. Just, like, just make the onions on the side and you can put the onions in yours and I don't put it in mine. Cause you know. Yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. That's a good idea. And yeah, but is, that's what's what a marriage is about is is making those um, those concessions. And somebody told me the the other day that the uh, the uh, key to a good marriage is a bad memory. Uh, that's hundred percent accurate. Yeah, that is hundred percent accurate too. Yeah. <laughs> so except when I said, "Oh, I don't remember saying that." Where did we get this? And my, it's great. My wife can remember where we got everything in the house. I'll hold up something. I'll hold up this little shell. I said, where did we get this shell? And she knows exactly where we got it and when we got it. I do too. Actually, we got it in San Luis Obispo. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So I'm going to talk a little bit about your driving force, right? So Spider-Man fights to save New York, Batman fights to save Gotham, or Google fights to index all the world's information. What is it that you fight for in the work that you do? Truth. Justice. Can you expand on that? What do you mean? And the American how, way. How does how does the how does comedy and uh, voice acting? In the work I do, do I try to. Um, I am on Facebook with a group of comedians, and we comment on daily activities of our alleged lawmakers 
and uh, alleged, alleged leaders. And, uh, you know, we often take a very funny, funny tack because we are comedians and we try to say something funny about what's going on at a particular time. And then I'll have people who, um, who will react uh, and say, no, this is not true. And I'll say, well, no, it, it is true. Uh, they're just denying it. And because they're denying it doesn't make it not true. Uh, it's, it, and, and so, so when you go and, and to stand up, you stand on stage, you really have to work from truth, from your belief system. And, uh, and you know there's people out there that aren't going to believe what you say. But, it, okay, okay, it's like, it's like this. Um, without bringing, well, I got to bring religion into it to, to give you this example. When I was in the hospital um, and got my heart, about a week after I got my heart, I got an email from an old friend who said, I know that you doubt uh, the tenets of Christianity, but does this now make you believe in the miracles of Jesus Christ our Lord? And I, because of all the thoughts and prayers that were coming my way, for, because he said, you know, excuse me, all these people prayed for you. The brownies are done. I've got to go get them in a minute. But he said, all these people prayed for you. Doesn't that make you believe in the power of prayer? And I said, well, yes, it does. It makes me believe in the power of prayer. But it also makes me believe in the power of good vibes, mm -hmm. good, good energy. Uh, people, people sent me uh, good thoughts, good vibes, good energy, and they prayed for me. And it really, it wasn't all those things that made me get a heart. It may have been the fact that all those people believed in what they believed in. So it was the, it was the, the combination of all these good vibes, good thoughts, and good prayers coming together because the people who sent them truly believed that what they were sending was going to make a difference. And that is, to me, the truth of it. Uh, it, is, it is the power of belief and the power of energy, prayer, thought. It is that power that, that helped me get through knowing there were people rooting for me. Uh, it really wouldn't have changed anything. If nobody had prayed for me, nobody sent me good vibes, nobody sent me good energy, it really wouldn't have changed anything. I would have still gone down there and I would have gotten a new heart and a new liver because it was science. And that's the truth of it to me. It yeah. was science. It was science that did it. It was, it was, if, if there is a greater being in the world uh, that, you know, uh, I, Napoleon, 
first said that religious wars are, are people killing each other over who's got the most important imaginary friend. And that has been paraphrased many times by comedians saying, you know, religious wars are guys, people killing each other over who's got the, who, who's got the coolest imaginary friend or, or whatever. Uh, Rich Jenny is famous for having said that. Uh, may he rest in peace. Uh, but he, actually it was Napoleon of all people who first came up with that. And to me, that is a truth. It may not, it, it, it is a truth. It's just what happens. And the truth of my situation was that medical science has progressed to the point where they can take a heart from another body and put it into my body. And the, my doctor told me that as soon as he put two stitches in, it started beating. They didn't have to put the paddle, paddles on it. Sometimes they have to put the paddles on it. But my heart was so happy to be there so happy to have a new home and and i, and I kind of I, I i kind of take it all i take it all as a blessing i take it all in I'm, I'm really glad that the people that were sending me the good vibes and the prayers and the thoughts believed in what they were sending that yeah. that that is very touching to me but i know for a fact that it really wouldn't have changed anything I would have gotten on the list. I would have moved up to priority. I would have moved down to priority. The heart would have fit. It wouldn't have fit. The liver would have fit. It wouldn't have fit. It just, it just I was very lucky. It was very lucky that the scientists and the medical miracles that they have perfected weren't able to save my life. And so yeah. I wrote a book about it. <laughs> Got a new heart. Are you tired of trying to write webinars that don't consistently convert? How would you like to have a webinar that effortlessly created sales in your online business? You can. Introducing the Webinar Alchemy Workshop. Webinar Alchemy Workshop is an online masterclass that will help you write incredibly persuasive webinars for your online courses quickly and easily. Using what you learn in this class, you can build a webinar that educates your entire audience while still creating sales. For a limited time, you can purchase this masterclass for only $7, and you'll get the exact framework I've personally used to help my clients sell more than a million dollars worth of online coaching and training just over the last year. Simply text the word ALCHEMY, A-L-C-H-E-M-Y, to 444-999, and I'll send you all the details. The music is by Purple Planet Music. Visit www.purple-planet.com. And now... Back to the show. I have uh, I have two more questions. And I'll let you go get your brownies. Oh, the, just two more questions. Two more oh. questions. Um, the uh, your your own personal heroes, right? Frodo had Gandalf, Luke had Obi Wan, Robert Kiyosaki had his rich dad. Who were some of your heroes? Were they real life mentors? Were they speakers or authors? Or were they peers who were just years ahead of you? And how important were they to what you've accomplished so far in your uh, your career as a voice actor and a comedian? My heroes are my children. Uh, they are 32, 27, and 25. And they're my heroes because they're always there for me. Uh, no matter what I'm going through, it's okay, Daddy. Don't worry, Daddy. It's going to be okay, Daddy. They're my heroes because they're reassuring me at every turn 
that whatever I'm trying to do in my life and whatever I've, whatever I've done has been okay. And my hero is my wife who stood, st stood by my side. I mean, I could say I had heroes like Mahatma Gandhi. Uh, I could say I had heroes like Joseph Campbell. Um, I could say I had heroes like Kurt Vonnegut, uh, who's a great writer. Dean Koons, who's a great writer. Uh, but my, my real heroes are my family. They really are. They really are. Because they, they, they assure me every day that everything's going to be okay. And they come to my rescue. <laughs> are you, do you have uh, daughters or sons or both? I have two daughters and a son. My eldest daughter, 32, just uh, had a little baby named May. And she's four months old. And I have another daughter who's 27, and her name's Haley Kiyoko, and she's a pop star. She was on the cover of Billboard magazine last month, and she won a VMA uh, last year, not this year. Billie Eilish won this year, but my daughter Haley won uh, for a Rising Star Award uh, from uh, MTV. Uh, she is a director and we'll be directing her first feature film for Imagine Entertainment uh, in the next year. And uh, she's just a dynamo, she's a force of nature. And then my son, Thatcher, is a, a wonderful, wonderful man, a very compassionate person. And he is uh, learning to code so that he can design video games because that has been his passion all his life. And so he's following his passion. And I'm happy to say that all my children have followed their passions, um, whether they worked out or not. You know, you, you have it's to follow right, your right. passion. You have to follow your dream. You have to know that, that uh, you have to trust that you are on the right path. And, and you have to listen to the signals that you're sent by the cosmos, by your friends, by just little things around you. Um, uh, it, I, I really try to stay open to, to cues, you know, to cues that I get in life and say, oh, oh, gee, that's, oh, that might be a cue. All right, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep that in mind. And, and you can read about all that crazy stuff in my crazy little book. See, the, I even put my face on the Tin Man. <laughs> nice. Here the Tin Man Diaries. Uh, because the Tin Man needed a heart, and so did I. And it was a wild and woolly trip to Oz. But uh, And one of my doctors, Richard, was Dr. Toto, one of my surgeons. I became known as the Tin Man. I started writing this book because when I was in the hospital, I had nothing to do. And I didn't want to watch daytime television. I didn't want to, you know, it's just a movie at night was fine. But, oh, my gosh. So what I would do is I would write uh, diary entries every day, and then I would post them on Facebook. And my friends on Facebook grew exponentially. Uh, all of a sudden, rather than a, a few hundred uh, friends, I had thousands of friends who were all telling me, write a book, write a book, write a book. So I guess my entries were pretty funny, and, um, and many people thanked me for taking me uh, for, excuse me, for me taking them on my journey. 
Uh, it's a journey hopefully they'll never have to experience, but I was able to take them on the journey, all of the testing and the tubes put in my neck and the tubes put down my throat and up my nose and every which way, you know, I lived through it and I got to write about it and I got to share it with a lot of people. And uh, I was surprised, honestly, they were very grateful. They said, thanks yeah. for taking me on this journey. That was very cool. So that's, that's how the book came about. And um, so that's, you know, and, and, and I can't impress enough uh, that the heroes in this world right now, to my way of thinking, are people who give of themselves. And there's no greater giving of yourself uh, than being a donor on your death and letting people live, letting people see, letting people breathe and laugh. Thanks to my donor, I got to see my daughter get married. I got to meet my granddaughter. I got to see my other daughter perform with Taylor Swift at the Foxborough Stadium in Boston. Uh, I got to see a lot and I'm gonna see a lot more. That's and really I got, cool. and I get to be on your podcast, dude. <laughs> cool. Ah, so this is a dream come true. Let's uh, let's bring it home a little bit for our listeners um, sure. and talk about your guiding principles, right? Top one or two principles or actions that you use every day that you think contribute to the success and influence that you enjoy from your 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 comedy and your voice acting career. I really have one. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That is the golden rule, and that is the rule that I try to live by. It's not easy because people can be infuriating, can be very frustrating, they can be taxing. But if you do unto others as you would have them do unto you, you can't ask for much more in life than that. Yeah. I actually, I make a modification of that golden rule. Um, maybe that? you call it the silver rule, but I always, I always imagined it was a uh, do unto others as they would have done unto them. Because sometimes I oh, figure yes. the things that I would have, I would have done to me, they might not like to have done to them. <laughs> <laughs> so, That's great. Well, I'm going to, uh, you've just modified my whole vision of life. Because <laughs> Because who knows what it is they want, you know, maybe they, they like what you like, right? Maybe they like onions. <laughs> yeah, maybe they like onions. Maybe they, so. they, they like pulling away from the gas station with the uh, the hose still in their car. Yeah, yeah. So enjoy that. So, so do unto them as, as they would have done unto themselves. As they would have done unto themselves. That's a very good policy. I like that. <laughs> so last thing I do on the show is something I call the hero challenge. Hero challenge is pretty simple. Um, and it's basically, do you have someone in your life or in your network that you think has a cool story, either a story of entrepreneurship or overcoming hardship, something like that, that you think would, um, should come onto the show and share their story. Who are they? First names are fine. And why do you think they should come share their story with us? Hmm. Um, my sister, my sister is a hero. Uh, when my mother came down with Alzheimer's in her early 80s, uh, my sister took her into her house, uh, set up a room for her, and took care of her, uh, and provided hospice for her. Uh, and then when my dad got ill, she did the same thing for him. But between that, she took care of a guy named 
Givy, uh, another guy named Charles, and she has been a caregiver for people who no longer can care for themselves. And to get to that point where you can't care for yourself, but you're so cognizant of the fact that you need to care for yourself, that's got to be a very difficult trap to be in. You're trapped in your body, basically. And uh, now she has a friend who's been diagnosed with ALS, and she's going to take care of her until she passes. And so my sister has, has truly been a saint and a, a hero to so many people because she saw them through the last very difficult part of their lives. Awesome, yeah. We'll uh, connect later and see if we can uh, connect with her. Um, what I want to do now is just thank you so much for coming on the show and ask you where people can find you if they want to pick up your book or, you know, if maybe they want to catch up on all 125 episodes of your, uh, your comedy show. Oh, well, uh, uh, where, where can they find you? Yeah, Comedy Break uh, is uh, no longer in syndication. And uh, otherwise, I begin checks for five cents, six cents, seven cents. Uh, it, uh, there are clips on YouTube. Uh, you can go to Comedy Break, uh, Google Mac and Jamie. Uh, that's M-A-C-K-A-N-D-J-A-M-I-E. Uh, and you can find me uh, at Jamie Alcroft on Facebook and Jamie Alcroft on Twitter. And uh, my book is available on Amazon. And it's a whopping $9.99. Nice. Yeah. Cool. So we'll we'll put links to all that stuff in the uh, in the show notes. Again, thank you so much for coming on the show, James. It's been uh, wonderful getting to talk to you. Richard, great getting to know you. Congratulations on your family and happy trails. Yeah. Thank you very much. You have a wonderful day. Is there anything you want to uh, to say to our audience to sign off? Be nice. Cool. Thank you very much, Jamie.